Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Monday, June 19th. Coming up, we observe today's Juneteenth holiday with the story of a once tight-knit black neighborhood in the Kansas City metro that was wiped out over the course of just a few years. I come back and everything was gone. I was going to build a house, but it was all gone. It was, everything was gone. The story of former residents trying to keep the memory of their neighborhood alive. But first, some headlines. Nearly 500 union workers at Kauffman Stadium have filed federal labor relations charges against the Kansas City Royals. KCUR Savannah Holly Bates has more. The service workers union says the Royals have withheld information, surveilled and threatened workers, and walked back on tentative contract agreements. Organizer Rose Welch said that the Royals have refused to offer a living wage for stadium employees making less than $15 an hour. Across the board, these wages are unfair, but it's especially egregious to see how our lowest paid workers are being treated. The final day of negotiations is June 20th. A spokesperson for the Royals said the team is committed to bargaining in good faith. A local member of Congress says his Republican caucus needs to come together after the contentious vote on the deal to raise the debt ceiling. Representative Mark Alford of Raymore says there's a divide between GOP House leadership and some lawmakers who voted against the deal, but there's too much at stake for things to stay that way. We've just got to make sure that the decisions we're making and the, and the direction that we're heading is not based on selfish ambition, but it's based on what is good for the American people. Alford is serving in his first term. He voted with far-right conservatives against the deal, saying he was concerned about limits on defense spending. And a St. Joseph couple faces federal charges for allegedly entering the U.S. Capitol during the January 6th insurrection. The Midwest Newsroom's Kayvon Mansouri has more. Kim and Stephen Dragu face four misdemeanor charges each after allegedly admitting to an FBI agent that the pair illegally entered the U.S. Capitol building during the insurrection. According to court documents, FBI agents questioned the couple after receiving multiple tips from the public that they were present at the riot. Photos included in the affidavit show video footage of the couple entering the building through a broken window before being confronted by Capitol Police. The document also included several now-deleted posts from the couple's Facebook accounts, where Kim Dragu recounted their entry into the U.S. Capitol. The Dragus will appear in court later this week. We'll be right back. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously, but you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit radioactive on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host Ari Shapiro is the featured guest at this party and it's going to be bumping. You got to be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Today is Juneteenth, an annual celebration of June 19, 1865, the day of the order emancipating slaves in Texas, and which has come to be a broad celebration of African-American culture, and of course also a federal and state holiday. We're marking this day by bringing you an episode of A People's History of Kansas City, another podcast from KCUR Studios. This is an update of a story we told earlier this year. Here's my colleague, the podcast host, Suzanne Hogan, with the story of a black neighborhood in Independence, Missouri you may have never known existed. 
This is A People's History of Kansas City. I'm Suzanne Hogan. So just east of Kansas City is the city of Independence, Missouri, a very historic town. Some of the things it's known for is being the starting point where the California, Oregon, and Santa Fe trails all began during westward expansion. It's also a sacred city to the Latter-day Saints movement led by Joseph Smith and still home to many denominations of the Latter-day Saints movement. And it's the hometown of the 33rd president of the United States of America, Harry S. Truman. And I, as president, appreciate everything you've done. If everybody had a viewpoint about... Actually, Truman was born in Lamar, Missouri, but Independence is the spot where his family established themselves. It's where Truman attended school and set roots after his presidency. Some remember Truman fondly as a guy who furthered the New Deal, worked in the mailroom of the Kansas City Star, and loved his hometown so much he returned to live in Independence after his presidency. As a president, he desegregated the military, passed the Fair Deal, and helped establish NATO. But there are also problematic and not-so-great ways that he's remembered. Like, he made the decision to drop the atomic bombs, seized control of the steel industry to prevent a strike, and entered the U.S. into the Korean War. Today, the name Truman literally dominates the landscape, from road names, schools, and small businesses. Banners of his silhouette line the streets. But other parts of Harry S. Truman's legacy are less visible in his hometown. Across from the Truman Library and Museum in Independence sits McCoy Park, a beautiful green space. But few parkgoers know that directly below their feet is the rubble of what was once a vibrant black neighborhood. Today, not a single house stands from that neighborhood. As reporter Savannah Holly Bates reports, it was completely destroyed by urban renewal. But its former residents are still seeking justice to ensure their story is not forgotten. Nancy Coppridge Harris grew up with her parents and seven siblings at 512 West Nettleton in Independence, Missouri. They were residents of the Neck, the biggest black neighborhood in Independence that was settled in the early 1800s near the city square and populated largely by formerly enslaved people. Gardens and fruit trees lined the neighborhood. Neighbors shared the goods from those trees, like wine or pies that they had made, so no one went without. We just was like a village. It was just like a village, and, and we cared for each other. We had uh, midwives and, and, and nurses and, and doctors in our neighborhood, you know, to come to our rescue because we couldn't go nowhere else. Walter Jacobs Jr. was born at 912 North McCoy in the Neck, on the same street that his parents and grandparents were raised on. He always dreamed of building his own house on the same street. But in 1965, he was drafted to fight in the Vietnam War. And when he came back, he said it looked like a bomb had gone off. His house and the whole neighborhood were demolished. I come back and everything was gone. I was going to build a house, but it was all gone. It was, everything was gone. The entire Neck neighborhood was raised by urban renewal in the 1960s. By 1969, nearly 180 families were displaced. The city built a park on top of the debris, made up of more than a century of memories. People didn't know where they were going to live and how they were going to survive because the monies that they were offered them for their homes wasn't even make a down payment on a house. And they lived there for their all their lives and put all their, their heart and soul into their houses and to get nothing out of it. 
The story of the Neck mirrors that of hundreds of black neighborhoods that were wiped out in an attempt to reinvent American cities. The Neck was a place where kids would play baseball in the streets, there were fish fries every weekend, and everyone would catch crawdads in the creek that ran through it. Alongside all of that, though, was evidence of Independence's decades of neglect. In the late 1930s, the neighborhood was redlined and deemed hazardous. Property lines were drawn so that it was almost impossible to build large homes in the area. Multi-generational households were forced into small, cramped houses or scattered across several homes. Independence did not provide utilities like sewage or running water to the majority of homes in the Neck, so people used outhouses well into the 1960s. Alversia Brown-Pettigrew lived at 500 West Nettleton with her mother, aunt, and uncle. Nettleton was one of the only paved roads in the area. Most didn't have curbs or storm drainage, so people would get together on her street and between hers and Nancy Coppridge Harris's house. At a reunion of former residents of the Neck last year, she reminisced about swimming with friends at a creek they called the Branch. I remember at the edge of their yard, it was just like Niagara Falls there. They all had little bridges they made to go across to come over to the back backyards on Nettleton. But that was just a flowing spring. Though they didn't know it at the time, the city's sewage ran into the branch, the same creek where they caught crawdads and swam in the summer. The beginning of the end of the tight-knit neighborhood came in 1957, when the Harry S. Truman Library was built right across the street from the Neck. Truman's home was just a few blocks south. When he was president, Truman signed the Housing Act into law. Public housing in slum terms and urban development. The program gave cities money to raise blighted or slum neighborhoods under the guise of improved housing. Instead, urban renewal programs across the country displaced thousands of people from their homes. John Taylor is a historian who studied urban renewal and independence. He believes the Truman Library was the cause of the next demolition. Just a few years after the library was built, Independence designated the neighborhood for urban renewal and began making plans for its demolition. They essentially said that these people and their past really didn't matter. We want to go develop or create another uh, attraction for this space to complement maybe the library and the square. And that's pretty, that's pretty telling. It told me that these people were in the way of this kind of economic development. But residents were determined to fight back. Walter's mother, Virginia Jacobs, led their efforts. They accused the Urban Renewal Board of offering less than the true value of their homes and discriminating against the Black residents being forced to move. Virginia led a march on the Independence Square, and on the 4th of July in 1966, she and 100 other demonstrators protested the Urban Renewal during Truman's speech at the library. Despite their efforts, they were still forced to move, leaving behind houses that they owned for generations and losing hundreds of thousands of dollars of black wealth. A few residents managed to find homes in Independence, but many struggled. The city was still segregated, and most white homeowners refused to sell to prospective black buyers. Walter Jacobs tried to buy a house in Independence, but was unable to find one that would sell to him that he could afford. He had to move to Kansas City and didn't return to the side of the neck for more than 50 years until he spoke to KCUR for this story. It's something that's deep-rooted inside you. That's what I'm saying about moving back to independence. At one time, I wanted to move back to independence because that's all I knew was independence. But I was treated so bad out here in independence, I said I'd never come back. Today, the bounds of the neck are defined by McCoy Park. According to some reports, it was built directly on top of the debris from the bulldozed houses. The only nod to the neighborhood are two historical markers with a brief history of the neck. 
Nancy Copperch Harris doesn't think that's right. Nothing about us other than the neck marker. Uh, it should have been something about us here. This this property belonged to us other than the, the marker, you know. Alversia Brown-Pettigrew was instrumental in securing the historical markers about the neck, and she doesn't shy away from all the pain urban renewal caused her and her neighbors. She also wrote a poem and book about her childhood there, titled Memories of a Neck Child, which she read at a group interview last year with KCUR. And splitting black families all over the land. We had to move out of the neck like a flashing spark. Independence had to make way for the much-needed McCoy Park. Certainly the prices offered some were quite meager, but there was no choice for the city was eager. Then the bulldozers rushed in, piling the neck in a heap. Some folks shouted for joy, others would sit and weep. An all-American city was the plot of this story, leaving many neck family deep in debt and full of worry. Walter Jacobs Jr. thinks the city owes him and other residents reparations for the loss of wealth and the trauma their displacement caused. Each of the former residents continues to keep the memory of their old neighborhood alive in their own way, and each hopes that the legacy of the neck won't be forgotten. Savannah Holly Bates is KCUR's general assignment reporter. She grew up in Independence, where the history of the neck isn't widely taught. The Truman Library still has yet to make an official comment on the neighborhood or its involvement in its destruction, but said it is planning a major redesign of the grounds. The changes will include a recognition of the neck neighborhood and its former residents. The city of Independence said there have not been any conversations related to reparations or brought to council yet. At-large council member Bridget McCandless is working with the Parks Department on additional signage about the neck. That was Savannah Holly Bates reporting in an episode of A People's History of Kansas City, one of our sibling podcasts from KCUR Studios, hosted by Suzanne Hogan with senior producer Mackenzie Martin. That episode was edited by Lisa Rodriguez with mixing by Byron Love and Paris Norvell and music from Blue Dot Sessions. Archival audio came from the Truman Library. This podcast is Kansas City Today. Paris Norvell and KCUR Studios produced this one, too, and it's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. Check out both podcasts and all the latest news from Kansas City's NPR station at kcur.org. I'm Brian Ellison. Happy Juneteenth, everybody, and thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hollywood writers are obsessed with the concept of an asteroid heading towards Earth and destroying civilization. But is this something we really should be worried about? I'm Kate the Chemist, and on my podcast, Seeking a Scientist, we meet the mastermind behind a real-life mission to divert the path of an asteroid. Subscribe to Seeking a Scientist, made possible by the Starris Institute.